Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Fender Bender on Joy 94.9 Revving up the weekends with news and views on all things motoring Oh yes, welcome once again to another fabulous edition of Fender Bender Right here on Joy 94.9 We are very excited to have your company And a gigantic thanks to Luke and the gang for Critical Hit uh, Particularly to Luke for being amazing at what he does And doing knowing technical things that can help a uh, certain presenter named Tim Nicholson Who is me, out So Luke, thank you, thank you, thank you Uh, I am joined in the studio by the lovely Mike Costello and Fian Tor Hi boys Tim Good afternoon It's so good to see you. So good to see you guys. You can see me now, can't you? Because you have glasses on. I do. It's true. I know. No more squinting for me. No, exactly. You can can read things and everything, which helps in your field. They do go foggy a lot, though. Do they? Yeah, it's a new thing. I don't. I, I didn't think that was a thing, but oh. apparently it is. Maybe it's just me steaming up the windows. Mm-hmm. You've got hot eyes. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> a little bit of creep there from Fian Tor. Fian, how are you? Yeah, very well, very well. Haven't seen you in a little while. It's been a little while. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm loving this awesome Melbourne weather. Ugh. How can you not? Yeah, the, the drizzle, the grayness. It's, it's pretty like, upsetting. It's like being it? in London. Isn't it? it is a little bit today. It's uh, <laughs> if you are somewhere else, count yourself lucky. Indeed. Um, it is. Uh, it is a little bit grim here in Melbourne, but we are going to hopefully make it less grim with our fun times on the radio. We've got quite a big show coming up. Heaps of motoring goodness. If you're unfamiliar with the show, it's all about cars, um, and we always love hearing from you as well. If you've got any questions, you want to know something, we might be able to help you out. It's highly unlikely, but we'll give it a go. Um, and our number is uh, 04427JOY949, or you can email onair at joy.org.au. We always love hearing from you, and we uh, we really appreciate you. Um, so we're going to be chatting to the lovely Steve Normoyle a little bit later. He's a contributor to a book all about Ford muscle cars, guys. This Who is doesn't be good. love muscle? And bring that on. And cars. Put them together. What do you get? Oh, double the awesome? Yes, I think so. <laughs> so, no, the, we uh, we spoke to Steve last year. There was a book um, about Holden muscle cars, and now there's yeah. one about Ford, which kind of makes sense, balancing it out. Will there be a Toyota one? Yeah. Probably not. Be still my beating heart. I know. We will find out all of that and more a little bit later on. Also, a few other things. Uh, we, we drove an exciting new car this week, Mike and I, and I think, Fian, you might have driven it in Europe, the Jaguar XE. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, let's not give too much away. No, we won't. But, uh, won't stay say too much about that. But uh, we'll be chatting mm. about that a little bit later on as well. So lots lots coming up, so make sure you stick around. Uh, but getting started with a bit of news, guys, I thought we'd look at uh, somebody we've talked about quite a bit on this show. He's had a controversial year. Jeremy Clarkson is, uh, Jimmy. is a person. Whether you like him or not, he exists. Um, but uh, news overnight that his new show. So he's doing a new show with the other two, Hammond and May. We don't know the name yet, do we? No, they, they haven't given it a that. name. It's Amazon Top Rear Television. Do you think that'll be a name? Top <laughs> is that no Top Queer. There we yes. go. There we yeah. go. That's a bit more. Yeah. Yes, but uh, Clarkson is reportedly going to be paid ten billion pounds per season. For ten this billion show. pounds. Million. 
<laughs> I think I stuffed that up. <laughs> One million dollars. <laughs> that is a million, ladies wow. and gentlemen. Wow. Which equates to 21.5 million Australian dollars a year. That's big. That also equates to 21 Rolls Royce Phantoms that he could buy with that money. Wow. So you could have like, uh, you know, just fill up a football pitch with them and uh, crash them all at once. Um, yeah. Yes, exactly. If you wanted. I mean, oh, wow. it's not, not really my thing to uh, crash Rolls Royce Phantoms. No. Or yeah. what about a smaller car? How well, smaller he, could, cars? he could potentially buy 1,650 Suzuki Solerios oh. with that money, ladies and gentlemen. I'm like, sorry, but why are we talking about Jeremy Clarkson? You don't, you're not a well, fan? I just don't care. <laughs> no. Does but a lot of people really do. Care? The world a lot does. Of people do. Does, hasn't the world moved on from his dinosaur already? Isn't, I, isn't I he, agree. Well, we will find out because there's nothing to say his show might be a flop. Top Gear yeah. was huge. It was a good recipe. It works. The highest rating TV show in the world. Yeah. Will the new show work? It may not. It's just so tired at this mm. point. Do you know what's funny, though? He, oh, I still speak to people who love him and mm. think he's the bee's knees despite his shocking behaviour. Mm. Um, but it's also going to be interesting to see how it works in a format where you download all of the shows at once yes. rather than having a weekly kind of thing. Yeah. So, Netflix style, yeah? Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah, so... Will be uh, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how he goes with that, but um, uh, I don't know if I'll be watching it. But that's just me. I'll that's tune in. I, I'm Isn't curious. You? Yeah, give it a yeah. go. I'll give it a go. I, you know, I, I sort of agree with Mike. Yeah, he he is annoying, oh, and huge. a lot of the stuff that comes out of his mouth is atrocious. But uh, anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. That's it. Um, now, something very exciting, guys. Alfa Romeo's Julia. We've talked a lot about that car on this show. We oh. saw it in uh, QV. What does he call it? Quattrofoglio Verde. Thank you. The Fiantor is a very Italian It's actually name. not the QV. It's just called Quadrifoglio. Oh, There's, no Verde. Verde. There's no Verde. No, not oh, yet. We don't know. Verde. It's a bit vague. But yes, it's oh. their new three series rival. Yeah. C-class rival. With, yeah. And, it's it's uh, not very green, is it? It's a, fairly, <laughs> it's a fairly interesting car because it was in uh, production. Well, not in production, but it was in development for a while. Uh, then it was completely scrapped and they started the program all yeah. over again. And they really fast-tracked it yeah. because Alfa Romeo is a company relatively on its knees and it had to come up with a big product to save itself. Mm. And so they really rushed this car through. And that means it could go one of two ways. It could be amazing or it could be terrible. And mm. no one really knows. They've only shown the hot one because the normal one probably isn't ready yet. No. Um, but there are reports coming out this week that mm. the hot one has lapped the uh, Nürburgring Nordschleife in a ridiculous time. What was it? 7.43. 7.43. Now, is this, is this official or are these just reports? These are reports. I thought they shut the lapping down of the Nürburgring. I thought you weren't allowed to do the time. For, for the public, but I think if you're doing testing, you can still do uh, okay. it. But well, there was talk of them. They were going to shut it down for the car makers as well because of yeah, the yeah. death. And it was re- directly related to that. But they've since gone back on that. Relented. So, yeah, if you're a car maker. The car makers are throwing money at them. Let us go. <laughs> yeah, I suspect so. Yes. Um, but, yeah, so it's apparently that uh, that time has undercut the BMW M4, which did it in 7 minutes and 52 seconds. So that's true. Then it turns out that the Italians have cracked it. Done a great job. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> it's a car shrouded in mystery. It's yeah. been a subject of mm. massive anticipation. But, you know, it's still a car that, you know, really people aren't entirely sure about. Well, yeah, and we we won't be until it's kind of fully revealed, and it's I don't think it's coming here until well into next year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. second so, half uh, or something like that. And it brings up an interesting point, and we'll be talking about this a little bit later on when we talk about the XE, because there's now not just your your regular uh, contributors to that segment. Uh, there's there's a bunch of them, and uh, Alfa Romeo and Jaguar are going to be. Uh, 
you know, a bit of a power going forward, maybe. So uh, should Mercedes and BMW be scared? We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, but right now, guys, we've also, uh, there's big news in the last 24 hours or so about this um, lawsuit coming out of California where yes. 10 car makers are being sued. Um Something to do with the keyless entry systems, Finn. Yes, yes. There's, um, I think it's about 26, 27 people want to set up a class action. So they're suing the world's 10 largest car makers, Toyota, GM, Ford, BMW, Mercedes, mm. all the big ones. Yep. Because apparently 13 people have allegedly died because they've suffocated um, from carbon monoxide poisoning where their car has been running in their garage and uh, they haven't known about it. They thought that their keyless entry, their their, their keyless push-button start, will turn itself off, mm. turn the engine off. And in some hybrids, yes, the engine will turn off, but the car's still on. It then turns on later, runs for, obviously, a long time. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It could fall in a heap. And yeah. It could be nothing. But if, if, you know, it goes beyond that and it turns out the car makers knew this was an issue... It could be huge. This well, it does happen in hybrid cars a lot, or electric cars. Mm. Obviously, these cars aren't electric, but mm. in hybrid cars where they're silent at what would be idle. So when you're stationary, as long as there's charge in the cells, they're completely silent, mm. and you don't know. There's a light on the dash. That's the only thing that tells you that the car is on. Yeah. And, of course, when the battery depletes, the engine kicks in, and away you go. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested in the fact that, because I, I was under the impression that most modern cars couldn't kill you with carbon monoxide uh they're, they're quite clean that would now. be a fair um, thought. i always equated that with a much older tech but mm. obviously i'm off the mark yeah well it's interesting this um there's a huge brands involved in this we've got uh, people like bmw ford general motors honda hyundai toyota kia mercedes nissan and volkswagen so it's uh it's a big one and it's uh, going to be a bit terrifying to for them i'm assuming so we will we'll watch this and we will see what happens just really briefly guys uh big reveal this week Kia's Sportage, the new Sportage. Oh, the, yes. current, the current one's still pretty sexy, if you ask me. A little it's compact SUV. Yeah. And the new one's come out. Um, it's, you know, similar kind of theme, I guess. Looks a little bit like a squashed Porsche of some description. I kind of like it. Yeah. The, it's got some uh, a little bit of touch of that um, Kia Pro GT with the, the fog lights. It's got all these LEDs pumping out of yeah. it. And it's got a bit of a technical modern look, and I don't mind that. Yeah. You're spot on with the Porsche thing. It's totally a yeah, Porsche isn't it? It's got the classic Porsche lights, yep. the sort of bulging bonnet. Um, Kia's been on a roll with this design of late, mm. and this is quite polarising. So most of the cars that's been releasing in recent times have been lauded, and this is the first time I can remember a modern Kia that's really divided people. And there are a yeah. lot of people who hate the look, and there are a lot of people who love the look. The interesting thing about it is uh, this shares a lot with the Hyundai Tucson, which just launched, uh, which is being uh, considered by most uh, out there, including myself for whatever it's worth, uh, as the new default go-to compact SUV mm. where it was the Mazda CX-5 now I think the Tucson's the best and this car shares lots with that car it's a bit sportier a bit funkier so it should be a damn good thing yeah mm. it's going to be interesting to see guys it will be good and some other very quick news uh, we've finally found out we, we kind of knew this was happening but uh, Citroen has finally confirmed the C4 Cactus which is a car that we've been pretty excited about is coming to Australia early next year it's actually my favourite car in the world at the it's moment it's pretty exciting because it just 
It's so different, isn't if, it? If Citroen isn't making wacky, weird, yeah. strange cars, there's no point in Citroen existing. I agree. Because if you want a safe, reliable, sort of bland European car, go buy Volkswagen. Mm. You know, Citroen has to be adventurous. Totally. And that's what this car is. Uh, everything about it is funky, strange, weird. Uh, you know, even the name Cactus, <laughs> which, you know, in Australia has some connotations Citroen would yes. probably rather avoid. But anyway, <laughs> and yeah, they've finally confirmed it. Not exactly, um, not exactly a big secret, but it's good to see that it's coming. Yeah, exactly. Albeit a little later than we would like. Yeah. And it's rather affordable too, isn't it? Well, it's going to be well under 30 grand. Yeah, which it is. But the problem is, look... How big is we'll it? Have it's to pretty see. little, isn't it? It is pretty little. But yeah. the other thing is, it's going to be, there's going to be two powertrains. So you've got a petrol, a three-cylinder petrol, which is a great engine in the 308. Oh, the triples. Yeah. And that's with a manual, which will be fun for people like us who like driving a manual. Mm. But then the only other option, if you want an auto, is a diesel, and it's a robotized manual. Which are terrible. Oh, yep. Yes. Terrible. Because the French don't bother doing good automatics no. as a rule. There is a good six-speed auto in the 308 now, which they're not putting in on the cactus yet but look the kind of person that buys a cactus is probably the sort of person who would appreciate a manual Maybe. petrol yeah, that's true. quirky you, you know this is not going to be a mainstream car no. so i think they're probably okay it's mm. more of a halo thing a design-led thing yeah you know and how about that cool feature where it's got air-filled bubble wrap around the, the body so <laughs> you can... That's a big sign point. How you, you can, can bump into things. Yeah. yeah, you can drive shopping trolleys into it and it's completely okay. It's no so damage. ridiculous. Yeah. Like that. Can't wait for that one. So uh, I'm sure you'll hear from us when we eventually drive this car. Uh, we've got lots more coming up on Fender Bender. Hope you are warm and enjoying wherever you are. Uh, Tim, Mike and Fian with you. We are talking news and fun times. Uh, some more news uh, recently, or this week rather. Um, JD Power have done a, a bit of a survey, or a study rather, looking into technology. And this was an interesting one, guys, because... Every car that we get into, uh, even a kind of an entry-level car, there's a lot of technology in these cars these days. And when you get to, you know, higher-end cars, it's actually quite overwhelming. Um, and there's there's been a study saying that most people who get into these cars don't use most of the tech that is in the cars. Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's really overwhelming. I know, Mike, you and I saw uh, had a sneak peek at the new BMW 7 Series last week. Now, the technology in that thing is just incredible i mean are people even the people that buy these cars are they going to bother with most of there it? is one feature in that car that everybody will use yes. which is it's got world first gesture control mm. and there is the most amazing wonderful whoever came up with this i want to mm. hug them so <laughs> when you when you receive a phone call on the bluetooth system and it comes through rather than hitting the no button because there's a there's a sensor in the roof that recognizes your hand movements you just do this dismissive wave <laughs> in front of the screen like the most arrogant <laughs> dismissive just swoosh of the hand mm. and it hangs up the call and that if you ever get sick of that then just i don't know i don't know what to say to you yeah it's pretty cool the point is true i mean a lot of this stuff is marketing driven so Mm. car makers want to be able to say to to people look we've got all this cool tech wow people go into the showrooms uh, they look at it and they say oh my gosh that's amazing look at these cool things that the car can do um i saw it when i was selling cars it is what happens but then six months down the track how many times have you used the robotized automatic parking how many times have you used i don't know you name it. There are so many features that look cool and then you just don't use them because you get in your car, you listen to your radio, you get out, you park it. That's about it. Mm. So it's a really interesting point. Is there any point in them putting this much, this level of tech in a car then? Or, or is there a way that they could, even with higher end ones, you can opt out of those kind of technologies perhaps? Should car makers be doing that? I think it depends on the driver a little bit. Yeah. I think certain people, you know, they love their gadgets, they love tech, whereas other people are just loaded 
they buy a nice car and they probably just drive and put well, it yeah. in drive and have no idea that it's got some of this incredible functionality. Yeah. But it's the same thing as you see with, with a phone or with anything mm, else. Yeah. Brands need to be able to sell their message and say, look, we are the brand of technology. We have all this cool stuff. It's important from a positioning point mm. of view. And how many things in your iPhone or your Galaxy do you not use? Like I, I use about four apps. Yeah. And my phone can do a million things that I don't even touch. Yeah. And cars are the same and, and all technologies are the same. And I think... Um, a lot of it's just car, car makers need to be seen to be doing it. Yeah, that's true. It was interesting at that again at the BMW 7 Series thing, speaking to the head of BMW Australia, uh, Mark Werner, he was saying that I suggested that perhaps, you know, the, the age of the people buying a 7 Series might not really be interested in this tech. And he said, you know, on the contrary, they've got a lot more time to be involved <laughs> with the tech. And I was like, oh. really? You sure well, about that? Okay. But that's what he said. So uh, old luck. Old, old Gramps is figuring out the radar cruise. I love it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Spending hours in the car. But it brings up also a good point that um, you know all of these cars have got their own individual infotainment systems and that kind of thing. And we, we've looked a bit at, at Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Um, th- these are they're great ways to to kind of for people to maintain concentration that you're not learning anything new it's it's the interface of your phone mm. just on the screen in your car it's 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 safer right being able to mirror your phone on the the, the screen of the car i found yeah. really really effective mm. i had to fiddle with it in the skoda fabia and what I, about apple carplay yes <laughs> that's true yeah and then i used apple carplay yeah. and it was uh it was great i loved it and it's mm. probably one of the best infotainment systems I've ever used simply because it's like using my iPhone. It's got big, mm. bold icons and, and you've used it too, haven't you, Mike? I have. And, and I mean, realistically, uh, it's good and bad because the bad side is we don't want to be encouraging people to use phones while driving. True. Uh, the good thing is if you're going to, I think people have accepted now and brands have accepted that people are going to want to use their phones while driving, at least make it safe. And so if you're driving along and you want to call somebody or change a song uh, all things that you can do legally if it's on the screen mm. if you make the icons big and bold as Fiend says and you make it easy to operate and navigate uh, that's better than yeah. some of the systems that you see which are incredibly confusing and, and the, the diversity in systems in cars is amazing there are some that are horrendously hard to use yeah. and some that are amazing to use it's quite remarkable but what are some of the features that JD Power suggested weren't uh, being used in regularity by buyers? Uh, there was a number of them, a lot of them to do with uh, those kind of automatic parking and things like that. Um, in-vehicle concierge. Is that the thing, like, I know BMW offers someone like that, where you, you call up and they yeah. there's someone in a call centre. There's an actual human out. at the other end of the yeah. line, and they're paid by, Lexus have got one of them as well, and yes, Form, I yes. think it's called. That's the one. Um, uh, mobile routers, yes, automatic parking systems. Interesting, this one. Head-up display. I love a head-up display. So do I. I love it's great. a head, I mean, love a head-up display. It is. It needs. It's. <laughs> but no, I, I love it. You can. You know, you've got your the 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 um, speed you're going at your kind of sight line, pretty mm. much, and it. I find the first time I used it ever, it was re- I was like, get out of my eyes, this mm. is weird. But then you get used to it and it's actually, I actually get a bit weird when it's not in the car now. I think it's brilliant. Um, and the other one was built-in apps. So they're on those kind of, I guess, with Holden or whatever. Like a Pandora. Those, Pandora, mm. exactly those kind Do of I love Pandora music, radio apps. I don't care for it. I want to use really? my own apps. And okay. that's why 
I just don't know whether why car makers are just saying, "All right, we're done. No more infot- We're not going to spend any more well, money on infotainment systems. It's all your own fault." The fundamental problem with infotainment systems developed by car brands is that technology. So cars work on seven-year life cycles, mm. and a new car doesn't come along uh, for every seven or so years. Uh, if you're Mitsubishi, it's every seventy years. Yeah, um, that's a bit of an exaggeration, <laughs> but you, you get the point. Um, whereas phones are updated constantly, and so surely, rather than you know, can, and, and, and once these systems are installed, you have to put whole new systems in. So surely you're better off just saying, right, we're just going to leave it blank and we update when all the phones update. It yeah. makes a whole lot more sense. Well, Tesla's got the right idea. They just update remotely via Wi-Fi. You just update the car oh, itself, the, the infotainment yeah. system. Well, and, and that goes as far as putting things like radar cruise control and blind spot monitoring out over the cloud because yeah. you've got the hardware installed, the, the radars, lidars, all that stuff, and they just put the software out and away you go. I or, think that'll be the way of the future. Absolutely. It yeah. will be, and it'll also be the hacker's way of the future, Ooh. and then the machines will take Ooh. over and we will just be their slaves. Skynet, bring it yep, on. Totally. I like a bit of sensational speed-up journalism, don't you? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, we've got lots more on Fender Bender coming up. We'll be speaking to Steve Normoyle about muscle cars. So get your muscles ready. I don't know about that. Um, and we will be back. This is Fender Bender. It's a show all about motoring. We've been talking lots about motoring news, of course, for the start of the show. And we we touched a little bit earlier on uh, muscle cars, of course. We did. Um, which is very pertinent because uh, right now we have the fabulous Steve Normoyle uh, on the line, who is one of the contributing writers to a new book called Ford, the Muscle Car Classics, 1969 to 79, a good vintage indeed. Steve, are you with us? I'm with you. I've never been introduced as fabulous, ever. <laughs> so uh, I'm under a bit of pressure now. It is, it is, yes, exactly. If you could uh, ensure some fabulousness throughout the conversation, <laughs> that would be uh, that would be wonderful. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Much appreciated. We, it's not the first time, of course, we have uh, we spoke to you last year uh, with a similar kind of book, uh, but that was for Holden. Yeah, I guess it's the uh, the yin and the yang or the, uh, the alter ego. Uh, yeah. In the, in, the, in the whole Holden versus Ford thing, but... Uh, yeah, this is. Um, I guess it sort of covers the the, the history of, of um, probably the the great era for Ford in, in a chequered history in Australia, mm. um, nineteen sixty nine to to seventy nine. That sort of covers probably the Fords that most Ford fans sort of look upon uh, with um, with uh, with wonder, um, and uh, probably before and after that, it's uh, it certainly hasn't been as good. Yeah, well, that's it. It's uh, certainly some uh, more downs lately, uh, obviously, with the the closure of um, the manufacturing plant coming up. Um, but I'm sure the fans, as you say, will love this. And uh, do you guys cover uh, the motorsport angle as well in this uh, in this book? So your, your Bathursts and the like? Yeah, it's, it's, it's heavily um, covers, covers the motorsport aspect of it, which was sort of, you know, quite an intrinsic part of, of why Ford and Holden were making these cars, and it was to do with with the racing programs uh, and with Bathurst. So, um, so there's a lot to do there, and a lot to cover there. And, and it's sort of, I guess it's it, it it takes you back to an era which is quite different from today in terms of the way car manufacturers make make their high performance models. Um, because what we had, and it wasn't wasn't specific to Australian racing, but the way that things were back then was that the manufacturers basically laid it on the line in competition so the what what the things that they were racing were were pretty much direct representations of what they were selling uh probably albeit you know a bit modified and certain sort of safety concessions but basically 
it, we weren't talking about silhouette racing in the way that we have today. So the reputations were on the line. Mm. So, you know, I guess to put it another way, it, it really mattered. It mattered how they went. Today, you know, if, if Holden or Ford or Volvo or whoever wins in a V8 supercar race or loses, the stakes really aren't that high because the at the end of the day, the cars aren't even real car, real, real production cars. Mm. They're silhouette cars uh, in, a, in, a, in a tube frame chassis, which is identical mm. uh, to all the other cars. The engine's really the only, and the shape are the only different thing. So, yeah, I mean, it was their own product. Uh, so there was nowhere to hide if it didn't if it didn't perform. So um, it was at the periods when the manufacturers were involved uh, because they weren't both involved at the same time all the time. Um, it was on, and uh, and what we ended up with was some uh, was some pretty special performance cars, which I don't think we would have had had they not been that imperative to uh, to beat the opposition on the circuit. So yeah, it was some. Um, I guess it goes right back to the, the phase, well, the the, uh, the GDHO series phases one, two, and three, and you know they were direct, directly made with with winning Bathurst in mind, mm. and uh, and it culminated, of course, in the uh, in the phase three, which doesn't really need to be introduced. Uh, but um, yeah. really, it's probably a last word in in high performance uh, production cars, certainly around certainly of that era. I guess if you looked at the cars today, they've got the, got they'll have similar performance. But uh, in 1971, that was a uh, a monstrously fast car. So is that where the uh, the old saying "win on Sunday, sell on Monday" came from? Because you, you you can't really say that today, as you mentioned, the cars that win the races underneath they're essentially very very similar. They all follow a a certain uh, rule book. Yeah, I think it's true. I mean, it, it's a bit of a cliche, and it was probably. A cliche then, but it, I mean, in the end, it is marketing. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really not a direct correlation, but uh, I guess the the difference between then and today is that is that the uh, the connection between what they were what they were competing with was and and the road car was was uh, was quite direct, whereas it's it's not so so much today. So yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a phrase, it's a catchy phrase. But um, I think it's probably a bit overstated. But but certainly, you know, if you had your a, a race developed version of your car and it was beating all the rest of them, mm. uh, it, it, it back then it certainly um, did mean you got a real good chance of selling a lot more cars than your competitor. And that's reflected in the in just the sort of you know the fervent way the two manufacturers uh, went at each other. Mm. Uh, they, you know, the, they were they were serious. Uh, they were really have, having a go. And, um, yeah, Steve. With, do you think there's there's quite a bit of nostalgia around this book, and I guess the Holden one as well, given uh, what's happening in Australia in the next couple of years as far as the closure of both of those companies or their manufacturing operations? Well, I guess it makes it poignant. Um, there's, I think, uh, there's just generally a, a, an outbreak of nostalgia and retroism in this country generally, hmm. uh, and this is this is all part of. It. I mean, it is. It was a golden era, but. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there are other eras of, that have been good as well, but yeah, it's it's probably poignant that that we're about to um, to see the the manufacturers close, and I think it's probably something that not too many people have, or at least uh, those of us interested in cars, apart from the, the real diehard Holden and Ford fans, probably haven't given it a whole lot of thought. But I think it's something we're going to miss mm. when they're gone, uh, on a whole range of levels, and uh, and certainly. 
you know, the fact that we had cars made here for a local design for for our local market. Um, you know, you may not have always bought them, but the fact that we had them, I think, was was uh, was a really sort of a really nice thing from a from a motoring enthusiast point of view. And we're going to lose that, so. Mm. Um, it's going to feel yeah. different in the future with, with what we see on the roads and what we drive. Do you have a, a favourite era in the book? Is there, is there a vehicle or, uh, you know, an era in racing that really um, struck a chord with you? Um, well, probably... 77's probably, probably the pinnacle... Certainly it was the pinnacle for, for Ford... In, so you're in a Ford the man then? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'd like to say that I'm that I'm a neutral. Yes, yes. Um, no red or blue here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, I don't, I don't look at it in those terms. I was a I was a Holden fan as a, as a kid, but no, I'd like to think that I've grown out of all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, look, it's you know, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a real deal for, for for a lot of people. It's that they that they you know support them with a fervency like just as, as strong as, as anyone. Supporting a football team oh, in whatever code you'd, you'd like to, to to name, which is which is really interesting. Um, but um, yeah, maybe seventy seven because Alan Moffat was was sort of you know Ford really didn't want to be involved, but they kind of had almost had no choice, and uh, and he pulled off an amazing victory against Holden that that really hurt Holden in nineteen seventy seven. So maybe the the original XC. It's interesting too, but at, at the time, I mean, they, they were going at each other hard on the track, and there was sort of glory to be had. But at the same time, both companies were actually in a lot of financial trouble, mm. and um, so you had this sort of uh, dual sort of dramas going on where where they're competing with each other for sales, but they're both under attack from the Japanese. Mm. Um, the, the, the influx of Japanese manufacturers, which by then were really starting to to produce really good cars. And they were making massive inroads, but um, it was kind of reflected in some of the programs too. I think the book talks a little bit about this, where, um, and the same applied to Holden, but the respective racing programs, as, as much as, as the manufacturers were keen to beat each other, they actually didn't have a lot of money to play with at certain periods in the seventies because they were uh, their profits were were dwindling and they were under pressure from from head office. So it's sort of, you know, they were they were really battling hard back then. And Steve, do you think uh, with uh, you know increasing uh, emissions restrictions and stuff like that, uh, obviously the Australian cars won't uh, won't exist in a couple of years. But you know we still have the Americans building these kind of, I guess you could still call them muscle cars. Do you think there'll always be a place for for that kind of vehicle, or do you think that uh, at some point, you know, ten, twenty, whatever years time, they'll fade away? Look, I- I've given up trying to forecast what's going to happen <laughs> in, in that way because. Back in the 80s, uh, when Ford stopped making V8s, I just assumed that, we, that that was the end, that we were never going to see cars like that again, and that, that was an era that passed and turbos were sort of on the rise, and I just assumed that, that you know, they'd, Holden would stop making them soon and we'd have, a, we'd have much more efficient uh, turbocharged and, and supercharged cars with smaller engines. I never would have thought in the 80s that 10, 20 years' time would be having, you know, even even bigger, even more powerful V8s than we'd ever had before. Um, but so I, I don't know. Mm. It's, it's, quite, it's quite illogical, given what's happening in terms of fuel costs and the environmental situation, that, um, that we even have cars of this, this sort 
Um, and as far as the as the the sort of you know the the historic nature of, of these sorts of cars, I guess it's sort of it become, it'll become cordoned off into an historic pursuit where you know the people that own, that own these cars love them and uh, bring them out for every every now and again, maybe for an event or or a quiet Sunday drive here and there. Um, mm. It'll probably sort of I guess for as long as we've got internal combustion engines, it'll be probably a, that that sort of uh, thing. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm just flabbergasted with at the at the, the proliferation of of large V8 engines yeah. in the world at the moment. I just That's never it. would have ex- expected it to be like this, you know. 20 years ago. Well, that, look, you know, you could be writing sequels to these books in 20 years' time, Steve. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> with any luck, with any luck. Well, it, n- nothing would surprise me. That's it, that's it. So the book is out now? Yeah, it's available now, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have a list at bookstores, no, but it's, uh, it's, it's out here and there. Excellent. Um, of course, that is uh, uh, at, at bookstores all across Australia. That's Ford, the Muscle Car Classics, 1969 to 79. Steve Normoyle, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And uh, good luck with whatever, whatever next one uh, you're working on. <laughs> thank you. Excellent. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Steve. That is Steve Normoyle talking about the Ford muscle car books and I'm all just muscled out. That's not possible, actually. There's more muscle to come, I believe. I hope so. Let's fingers crossed for that one. Uh, Lots more muscle coming up on Fender Bender. Uh, just speaking to Steve Normoyle about some muscle cars, Fian Tour. You got a little bit muscly this week I as did. well, didn't you? I did. Drove the new updated Chrysler 300 SRT. And as Steve was saying, the demand for modern day muscle cars is, is huge. And, and they're able to develop a car in the US for the Australian market. Mm. You cannot get this car anywhere else at the moment. Um, and it's basically a 6.4 litre rear drive, two ton V8 American sedan. It's big, it's heavy, it's loud, it's dumb. But oh my god! You're describing me. Oh my god! It's so much fun. Yeah, pretty much. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> this thing makes the best noise ever. Um, we actually got to take it on a uh, an airstrip out in uh, in uh, New South Wales, oh. and it was just awesome drifting this thing around and doing launch control and going 200 kilometers an hour. And that's pretty much what it's best at. But it, mm. it, you know, like there's a lot of things that aren't right about this car, but. It just stirs the soul. That's all I'll say. I love it. Really? I'm all for them. Yeah. I'll be really sad when these big, and I know they're a bit dirty. They're not the most uh, fuel efficient. They're not the most CO2 efficient, but I'll be sad when they're gone. Really? Yes. I will be too, actually. I'll be honest. I need them to bring the Hellcat here because the 300 SRT is sold in Australia only because in America, uh, in the Fiat Chrysler family, Dodge is now the performance arm and Chrysler is not. Uh, So in America, they have the Dodge Charger and Challenger Hellcats, which Mm. are even more crazy because there's forced induction on their engines, Mm. their big V8 engines, and they might come to Australia too. So... Mm. You know, fingers So, so yeah, the 300 SRT is only 350 kilowatts. Only. The Hellcats are 527 kilowatts. Shut up. So, it's just getting crazy. And who doesn't love anything called a Hellcat? That sounds pretty Come cool, doesn't it? It sounds like yes. a movie of some description. <laughs> yeah. A sexy movie. I don't know. It's a Stormship Trooper, isn't it? It is a little bit. Yeah. It's a little bit. Um, Mike, you drove something that is the direct opposite of what we're talking about Polar as well. opposites. Yeah. And I drove the Audi A3 e-tron uh, PHEV during the week, plug-in hybrid vehicle. So, it's... It's, a, uh, it's an electric car in a sense that can travel about 50 kilometres. Uh, we got up to 67 kilometres as a pure electric car. You did 70 k's on 
pure battery. Uh, another colleague did. Yep, 67 Ks, which is really good. Yeah. Then after that, uh, a petrol engine kicks in and powers the wheels. Uh, you can do all sorts of cool tricks with it. Like you can postpone the battery and run purely off the engine, so you mm. save the battery for later, etc., etc. The theory being, for all your uh, average use, uh, most people drive only 20, 30, 40 Ks a day. You have an electric car that you charge overnight. If you want to go for a long drive somewhere, you have the backup of a petrol engine. Um, it doesn't have the range of a full EV like a Tesla, but it's also got the reassurance that you could just go to a Bowser, fill it up, and away you go. Mm. It's a bridging technology that really uh, is going to be around until we see electric cars with proper long ranges once the battery development catches up. Uh, the impressive thing about the A3 e-tron, which sells for about $62,000, putting it a little cheaper than the BMW i3. Same price as a 300 SRT. <laughs> is just how um, subtle its system is. So when the interchange between, often in these sorts of cars, when the petrol engine kicks in and fires up as a generator, it's really obtrusive and noisy and weird and, mm. and it's seamless in the Audi. It's, right. you, if you put someone in the car who didn't know it was a plug-in hybrid, they thought mm. it was just another Audi A3, they honestly would not know what they were driving. Um, and it's just completely normal, whereas the I3 is kind of wacky and wild and designed, so is a Prius, so is a Volt. All these cars are kind of distinctive. You're seen being green. The Audi is completely, um, you know, just, mm. just you know, blends in with the crowd. It stands out from the crowd by blending so in with the pack. even though it's got batteries and this electric motor, it's heavier, does it still drive like an Audi? Feels nice? Well, it does. It only weighs 200 kilos more than the regular one. Mm. They've kept it really light. The battery pack sits between the rear wheels under the seat, so the centre of gravity and the weight distribution is actually superior. Nice. And the regular A3 is one of the sharpest driving hatches mm. you can get. This one is no exception. Of course, it doesn't stack up financially. It's 20 grand more than the diesel version, which doesn't use much fuel to begin with. Mm. But it is the kind of car that early adopters can get on board with. If you want to be a, a bit of a bit of a you know, forward thinker, you mm. get this car. If you want to stand out, you get the R3. If you want to blend in, you get the e-tron. Both of them sensational cars. The only thing I, issue I have with this car, because I've, I've, I think it's great and good on them, but wouldn't you bother doing a plug-in hybrid for a vehicle that is less fuel efficient like an SUV? For, like, is there any point in doing it to a car like this where you can get a diesel A3 that sips not much fuel in? That's a great point. Mm. And Audi will soon have a Q7 um, version mm. with similar technology, which, yeah. exactly right, is where it makes the most yeah. sense. Uh, I guess they... I don't know why they start small. Maybe yeah. because it's generally suited for city applications. True. That's where vitrification yeah. is well. best. Yep. Yeah, but the Q7, eventually there'll be e-tron versions of all Audis and then in time, within a few years, they'll all be just fully electric like Teslas and mm. this plug-in hybrid thing will disappear. But yeah. right now, it's really novel and interesting. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Sticking with the E... Taking away the Tron, putting an X in front of it. Hey. Whoa. See what I did there? Awesome set. I know, right? Thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Mike, you and I earlier this week were lucky enough to go to far north Queensland, F&Q, which sounds quite rude, <laughs> and drive uh, a very important car for a brand that has had middling success in this country for a while now. A brand that uh, the, the boss of the brand himself admits that it's had largely irrelevant uh, sales and product offerings mm. up until now. Good cars, but not in segments that people actually buy cars in. <laughs> it's got now a 3 Series rival. It's got an SUV coming very shortly. These are the segments where people are going now for cars. So Jaguar finally is going to be on the up and up. For a long time when Ford owned and ran Jaguar, it mm. became the retro old person's brand. It didn't even bother Did, going after it? the youth. The XE is very much a 3 Series rival. Uh, so it's designed purely to be sporty. The mm. driving position, it feels like you're in a coupe. You're yep. low slung, really steering low. wheel in your lap 
Dash wraps around you like a long lost aunt. Um, it's a really sporty, and, and it does compromise. It's not very spacious. Mm. Um, it doesn't have a cabin that's quite as upmarket as a C class. Yeah. But in terms of driving dynamics, it is yeah. absolutely flawless. Yeah. It is the best driving small sedan, and that includes the BMW 3 Series. Mm. And it's great to see Jaguar returning back to those roots because, of course, Jaguar was always about making a car feel alive, mm. and that's exactly what this car is. Mm. And it's got variants that'll get ex- uh, Australians excited because Ooh, yeah. they, they use. Uh, the V6, the supercharged V6 from the F-Type sports car for the range topper, which they're calling the XES, which if you flip that spells... Don't know. No, neither do I. Uh, <laughs> you, can, you can tell that they're going to do an even more hardcore yeah. one in time, probably with their V8 engine from the F-Type R, yeah. called the XCR, yeah. to rival the C63 AMG and M4, because, or M3, I should say, mm. because the XES feels a little subdued. That engine it in does. the F-Type, is it barks, it's angry, it, it yep. sounds amazing, and in the XC, it sounds just a little muted. And that chassis is so great, mm. and the steering is so great, and the dynamic package is so flawless that I couldn't help but think, man, this thing could use another 100 kilowatts. Yep. And maybe I'm being greedy. But a bit. totally good. <laughs> Fiend, you've driven this car as well, I believe, internationally. Yeah. Do you, are you of a similar disposition? Um, when you mention it, yes, it was actually in terms of that uh, engine, uh, the engine note, the exhaust note, was a little bit subdued, but I had the good fortune to drive that supercharged six version on the racetrack and it is Ooh. an absolute ripper. Like I'm not I'm not Mr. Drift King, as you all know, but I was pumping out of these hairpins, you know in the back out and it just felt so progressive and under controlled conditions in control conditions obviously yes, close circuits um, yeah. do not imitate racetrack <laughs> and uh, but as Mike said the steering in this car is almost without peer it is mm. so good if you enjoy driving cars and yep. you you don't just drive from A to B um, then this is the sort of car you should yep. investigate if you've got the uh, financial means because it just feels incredible. It's and the sort of car you buy when you don't want to buy a German luxury car. Yeah. If you have an Audi, a BMW and a Mercedes all of which are f- you know, great cars, new A4 coming, 3 Series still good, C-Class mm. is brilliant. They're all great, but if that kind of you know conformity is anathema to you and you want something a bit different... This is one of the... And it's a Jag! That options. still means something. Having a Jag is still cool. Did you like it, Tim? I, I loved it, but you don't... The thing is, and I was I was exactly the same with Mike, I thought, I just feel like this needs to be a bit more raw, but and that's why I, I suspect something will come. That top spec one is $105,000-ish. Mm. Now, you miss out on things like seat warm. Like it's, it, they're doing the whole European thing of it's like, oh, you want, you want this? So you've got to pay for this. And it's, you know what, it starts to get a little bit steep for me. But I thought the sweet spot for me was that diesel. It's a brand new, I think they call them the Ingenium, Ingenium diesel. Yes. Two-litre four-cylinder diesel. And I just thought it was a real sweetie. How and it's flexible is that engine I as love, well? I love everything about it. Jaguar is doing other things, so I won't go into too much detail, but super cheap yeah. to service. Um, they've yeah. got new finance deals. They're really aggressive with this car. They really want to just eat yep. into the sales of the Germans. Um, and, and even the smaller petrols, the old Ford source yeah. petrols, they're still using. It's, it's still a characterful engine, yeah. proven. Mm. Um, that's where the value is in this car, at the lower end of the range. The top one's fun, but it's pricey. So, so around 60k, you want a luxury car, you've seen a C-Class, you've seen a 3 Series, this car Have is definitely worth a kick of the tyres. Go check it out. It's a contender. It is, it is. And and again, this is the this is the expansion of that segment. We'll see the Julia soon. Is there anything else coming up? Am I missing something? Yeah, the Lexus IS is getting an update with a new turbo engine. Yeah, yeah the 2 litre uh, turbo. So there's lots happening yeah. there. This is where most of the sales in the luxury market are. So yeah. that's where the car makers focus. And you are spoiled for choice. You really are at the moment. So get on it, yo. Uh, speaking of getting on things, we have to get on our bikes and get out of here. I am on fire today. You are very good. Yeah. <laughs> Set fire to me later because I need to be stopped. Um, boys, thank you so much, Mike Costello, Fee and Tor. Thanks for another lovely week. Always enjoyable. 
We'll see you guys at some point, sure. Um, somewhere. Somewhere around the world. Probably I'm next sure. week. Um, but do stick around, of course, because Technogaze is up next with Michael and the gang. Uh, we'll have heaps more next week on Fender Bender. My name's Tim Nicholson, signing off for another week. Safe driving. This has been a Fender Bender podcast for Joy 94.9, Australia's first and only gay and lesbian radio station. See joy.org.au for more details. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.